welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What happened to four men in the Maine's Allagash Wilderness area in 1976? Why did they, what did they really see rising out of the trees? Who or what took them that night? Hello and welcome to the 836th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben and those creepy questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures and dad, Paul. And today we bring you two new guests uh, we've come to know over the past year uh, who witnessed one of the most famous UFO incidents in American history. Uh, We welcome your calls today. The number is 401-766-1240, and that's from anywhere. Or you can email paulbehindtheparanormal.com or contact us uh, via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, coming to us via Skype today is Jim Weiner and via the good old telephone, Charles Foltz, both eyewitnesses to the Allagash UFO incident in Maine in 1976. Jim is an artist and a near-death experiencer who has been an associate professor at the Massachusetts College of Art and Design's Computer Arts Learning Center in Boston. He and his twin brother, Jack, who also witnessed the Allagash incident, have had high strangeness and possible abduction experiences since early childhood. Charles Foltz is also an artist, a veteran of the U.S. Navy, where he was a nuclear technician. He attended the Massachusetts College of of Art uh, after graduation from college. He worked as a clinical medical photographer and medical artist in Boston for 39 years. They have appeared widely in the media, and the 1976 experience is documented in the book, The Allagash Abductions, Undeniable Evidence of Alien Intervention by Raymond E. Fowler, a great writer. They live in the Boston area and have been on our show once before as part of our live panel from the 2019 Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. Uh, they were planning on being in the studio today, however, the things being as they are. Due to recent circumstances. Due to, um, un, I guess, un, uncontrolled uh, circumstances, we've got uh, them uh, remotely today, but at least they're with us, so we're grateful for that. Indeed. So, Charlie Foltz and Jim Weiner, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, Ben. Hi, Paul. Charlie to be with you. Well, hey, it's great great to have uh, both of you gentlemen on. So uh, I guess we'll take this one at a time. Um, so whoever wants to start, uh, maybe Jim, tell us your story. Well, in August of 1976, Charlie and myself and my twin brother Jack and another uh, camper, Chuck Rack, uh, drove to um, northern Maine. And we initially spent uh, a couple of days up on Mount Katahdin, climbed Mount Katahdin, and um, spent a couple of days up there. And afterwards, we took a bush plane to the Allagash Waterway Wilderness, which is north of um, Mount Katahdin, way up in the northern part of the state. It's uh, basically a combination of lakes and river system. That flow, the river itself flows north up to the Canadian border. And, um, so after flying into, um, the first lake of the lake system, it's called Telos Lake, uh, we made camp on the first day. Um, during that time, the, uh, r- local rangers who are always up on the waterway system, uh, came to check our our camping gear and check us, make sure we weren't fugitives, that we had the necessary supplies and everything to um, be camping in the wilderness because it is a wilderness area. Um, so after doing that, we had our, our first camp, which was pretty uneventful. 
we did have a, a unexpected visitor that night, another camper who canoed up to our site with no supplies, and uh, we shared our supplies with him that night. But other than that, it was pretty uneventful. Uh, the next day, we moved from Telos Lake up into uh, the next uh, lake in the system called Chamberlain Lake. And on uh, Chamberlain Lake, the um, the wind in that part of uh, Maine is basically coming from the north to the south. So it's you're you're uh, paddling against the wind, and it was a it was a very hard day paddling against the wind. And by the end of the day, we had reached a campsite um, called Mud Pond, I believe it was called, and. Um, it was just getting to be nighttime, so we had pulled into, uh, paddled up to the campsite, and there were other campers there. It was probably eight or ten other campers, and um, they were um, they had a fire going on the beach, and they were looking for two of their sons. I guess they had two sons that were out on the lake, and they were worried that um, they may not find their way back because it gets very very dark at night up there. So they were, we were all kind of looking out over the lake to see if we could spot their sons in their canoes. And while we were doing that, um, one of the campers said, what is that weird star across the lake? And when we looked in the distance on the far side of the lake, it was probably, I think we were looking east at the time, there was what seemed to be a very, very bright star. Um, just above the treetops. So um, I took out my binoculars and I looked at it through my binoculars and I could tell immediately that it wasn't a star. It was something that was just on the other side of the lake hovering, you know, maybe 50, 100 feet above the treetops. And it had this odd quality to it, uh, which kind of struck me odd. It was it wasn't like a regular light. It was a different quality of light. And I was only watching it for a few seconds, and all of a sudden the light just kind of winked out. And I thought, well, that that was odd. Maybe it was a helicopter or an airplane or something. I didn't really think much of it other than the quality of the light struck me as a little odd. But um, we went back to um, searching for these kids out on the lake, and after a few minutes they actually showed up. So um, that was the first time... Um, that we noticed some light in the sky that, to me, didn't seem right at the time. But um, So, Charlie, you want to take over for a little bit? Tell them what we did next? Well, after we left uh, that campsite the following morning, we uh, tried making our way further north to Allagash Lake, which is a uh, primitive lake and only... Uh, paddling uh, craft are allowed on the lake, no motorized craft. Um, we worked most of the day trying to get up to uh, this destination and uh, finally just gave in to the fact that we were not going to have the time that we uh, needed to get to this location, so we abandoned that idea went back down the river and made camp for the evening. The following morning, we got up, went down 
entered Chamberlain Lake again and went over to a portage area to Eagle Lake. Uh, we had wanted to camp on Thoreau Island or Pillsbury Island uh, on Eagle Lake at uh, Thoreau Campsite. There was another canoeist uh, about a quarter of a mile or so ahead of us, and they went to that location. Having shared a campsite a couple of nights earlier with this other group, we wanted to hang out with our, you know, uh, amongst ourselves. So we had a secondary campsite, Smith Brook on Eagle Lake. Uh, we went over to Smith Brook and set up our camp and uh, gathered wood for a fire because we decided we were going to go out on the lake fishing to supplement the supplies we had purchased uh, prior to going on to the lake. We thought we'd add some uh, fresh fish to uh, our menu. So we set up our campsite, lit the fire to act as a beacon so we would be able to find our way back to this campsite at night. Uh, that far north, you're isolated in the wilderness, as Jim was saying, and when it gets dark, you can feel the heat from your hand in front of your face, but it's so dark you cannot see your hand in front of your face. Well, we were out on the water. It took us oh, maybe about 20 minutes or so to work our way through the standing deadfall, the trees that uh, were up at the end of the lake where the stream was coming into the lake, we thought that would be the best place to fish because of all of the fallen trees, the dead structure, all that type of habitat's great for fishing. And we just began to fish, and it's dark, and uh, the other fellow named Chuck um, called our attention to something that he, you know, was struck him as odd. And we looked at his, toward his end of the canoe, and uh, I saw this sphere of light, which I immediately thought was the moon. But just as quickly as I thought it was the moon, I dismissed it as not being the moon because of the way it was moving, um, it was, you could definitely see that it was moving in our direction, coming along the uh, tops of the trees, maybe about 40 feet above the tops of the trees or less. The tops of the trees were illuminating as this ball of light approached us, and... Uh, when it was, oh, perhaps a hundred yards away from us, I picked up a flashlight we had in the canoe, one of those square battery flashlights with the handle and the push button switch. I put my hand over the lamp, turned the light on, and I semaphored, uh, an SOS, three short, three long, three short, mm -hmm. just to see what it would do. Um, when I did that, this sphere of light immediately stopped moving forward and a beam of light appeared directly beneath this uh, sphere 
and this beam of light, which had a, 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 a bluish quality to it, sort of like a blue neon light, but it looked like a gigantic um, glass straw in a like appearance. Um, how you can see through a glass straw, but you can see the the walls of the straw. And this quality of light had an appearance like that, except it was large enough to engulf a, a, an automobile. And when we saw this this light coming in our direction, um, I myself was no longer curious about what this thing was or would do and uh, dropped the flashlight, grabbed the canoe paddle and uh, tried paddling uh, to our campsite. Um, Jack and Jim joined in helping me uh, move the canoe along. Uh, Jack was encouraging me by by yelling, paddle, Charlie, paddle. Uh, if I could have run, I would have ran, but uh, <laughs> I certainly got my feet wet. But um, it, it seemed like it only took us a few moments to return to our campsite, um, where Jim and Jack and I were standing on the beach. Uh, Chuck was still seated in the back of the canoe, I picked the flashlight up again, and this sphere of light was now uh, near our campsite, close enough that uh, you could have picked up a baseball and thrown it at this thing and, and hit it. It was maybe 40 feet above the top of the water, and I shined the flashlight at it a second time. When I did that, it moved directly away from us across the lake and then began to ascend up into the night sky at a 45-degree angle. Um, I don't know why, but at the time, I felt that this thing was about to go very fast. So I took the flashlight and I shined it at the sweep hand of my wristwatch, and I noted that it was after 10 p.m., I looked at the sweep hand and looked back up at this light in the sky, and it just shot straight out very quickly and, and with soon a pinpoint of light lost in among the stars. I looked back at my watch, and less than 8 to 10 seconds had elapsed between the time this thing began to ascend and so it disappeared. Um, at no time did it make any noise whatsoever, nor did it uh, disturb or displace the tops of the trees or the surface of the water as it hovered above these things. A helicopter would have had noise associated with it as well as air displacement, which would have moved the trees all over as would uh, a prop of a helicopter disturb the surface of the water. But this thing was not a helicopter. I mean, I was in the military. I've seen just about every type of aircraft that we have flying, and uh, this was nothing uh, that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Well, the next day, that night when we got away from the water in our canoe after this craft disappeared, we walked up to our campsite and uh, uh, the, my three companions all sat at these picnic tables that were available and I walked over to where the fire was, uh, which was my reference point as I was paddling back to our campsite. And now the campfire, I discovered, was completely burned out. Little wisps of flame and coals were all that remained of our fire. Um, but yet when I was paddling toward our campsite, I could see the fire burning brightly. Um, I didn't really think very deeply on this fact that the fire had extinguished that quickly. And I asked my friends if uh, they wanted I should throw some more wood on the fire. And they looked at me like, what are you, nuts? <laughs> We're turning in. So everybody just sort of stumbled off and crawled into their sleeping bags and that was it. Charlie, we can I add to... some detail? Yeah, go oh, ahead, absolutely. Jim. absolutely. Um, just to back up a little bit, when we were in the canoe and we first saw this craft hovering over the treetops, I immediately recognized it as the same kind of light that we had seen prior at from the other campsite that I was looking at through my binoculars because it had this... It was almost like a roiling quality to it. It was, um, it moved. It was like it was alive. It reminded me of what the inside of a pottery kiln looks like at very high temperatures. I, at the time, was uh, attending graduate school uh, at Boston University in ceramics. And I was very familiar with firing kilns and, and doing the whole ceramic thing. So, that's what it reminded me of, but this was a this this was some kind of energy that was it literally seemed alive, like it was roy constantly roiling and moving and glowing. Like I I didn't couldn't see a solid object. It was it was as if you were just watching this ball of energy just roiling above the treetops, and it was big. It was as big as a two story house. This thing was huge, and it made absolutely no sound, as Charlie said. And we were actually downwind from it, because that day the wind had shifted from the north to the south. So we were downwind from this thing, and it made absolutely no sound whatsoever. So uh, that was one of the strange things that um, was about this craft, was this this seemingly alive energy that seemed to be surrounding and the way it moved. I saw it mostly as a, a yellowish, whitish color overall. Um, Jack saw yellow, whitish. Charlie saw yellow, like a band of yellow. Charlie, did you remember whether that band was vertical or horizontal? Well, as I recall, it was uh, rather vertical. Yeah. Kind of remind, kind of reminded me if you had like a uh, twenty-five watt incandescent light bulb. And um, you were looking at the lamp, you turn it on, turn it off, close your eyes, and the after image that you would have um, 
would be the closest thing I could think of that would be close enough to represent what we saw. But yeah. like Jim said, the surface of this thing had motion and movement to it, sort of like if you've seen uh, uh, NASA images of the surface of the sun. Mm. It had that type of uh, uh, quality and texture to it, but it was uh, white with a kind of a yellow to it. Yeah. Uh, from my vantage point, uh, Chuck saw it uh, in quadrants, um, and uh, you know he saw red in it that I did not see, but then uh, he was kind of a portrait artist, so his, uh, you know, maybe his uh, way of looking at things, he saw other colors in there that I did not notice at first. Yeah. He also said he saw green, too, which I don't remember seeing. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to add, <coughs> excuse me, is when uh, we were, uh, after we had gotten back to the campsite and were standing on the beach watching it, um, when this thing took off, it imploded in it, into itself, almost like an iris on a camera. And it, it just went from the outside edge to a dot, and then it disappeared, and then a second later, it was higher up in the sky, and um, you could see this beam coming out from in front of it. It seemed to be following this beam up into the sky, and it did, it would kind of wink out for a second, and then the next second it would come on again, but it would be higher and further away, so it gave you this kind of overall image of it almost like walking up a stairs but it really wasn't like stepping up a stairs it was just the way it appeared because it would blink off and then blink on again for a second and then keep going and it it made no sonic boom at all when this thing was flying away and it had to be going many many times past the speed of sound hmm. so um i at that time i couldn't think of any conventional craft that that could be at all now, how about the how about the abduction? We'll go back to the campsite. Um, before we went out to go fishing, I just want to make clear that we built a very large campfire. We built what was what's called a long burning fire, or sometimes some people call it an upside down fire, because mm -hmm. you put your small stuff, brush and logs on the top of it, and your big heavy logs on the bottom. So as it burns down. It takes longer to to burn, and um, so that's the kind of fire we had made. So we we created this fire deliberately to burn a long time because we figured that we would be out on the lake for a couple of hours at least fishing. And um, from the time we left the campsite to the time we saw this craft and then paddled back again seemed to me to be... 15 or the most 20 minutes we were we just had gotten out on the water when we saw this thing so we weren't out on the water long at all and um certainly not long enough that coming back in 15 minutes the fire would be completely burnt but as charlie said we didn't you know we kind of 
thought it was a little odd that the fire was burnt down, but we really didn't think much about it. I mean, we were kind of... Well, because fires always burn out. We were um, really tired and almost in an anesthetized state. I I can't explain it, but um, uh, we we really didn't think a whole lot about the fire, why it had burnt down the coals when it should have still been burning very brightly, but... So how, how much time do you do you think we never at the time we never heard of missing time or anything like that so it, it, you know that thought didn't occur to us okay plus plus fires always burned out so you know we didn't really even spend any time that evening talking about what we just experienced but yet in the morning when we were breaking camp that was all we talked about. Right. Um, we even flagged down the first ranger we saw that day to tell him what we had seen. And he was this old, uh, older fellow and he kind of looked at us and he goes, Lights, eh? Well, they got a brand new hardware store down in Millinocket with them Hollywood style searchlights. <laughs> and that's what you boys probably saw. Well, Millinocket was 90 miles due south to us, and Mount Katahdin, which is one mile high, was would have been directly in our line of sight. That night, it was a clear sky, mm-hmm. so we, we didn't uh, discuss further with this uh, ranger uh, what we had seen. Well, but, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, fellas, um, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break uh, right now, and then we'll go back to our discussion. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with Charlie Foltz and Jim Weiner on the Allagash case in just a moment, so stick with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, and we're back, uh, behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM, local and live on 99.5. And, uh, we're speaking today with two of the witnesses of the Allagash UFO incident of 1976, uh, Charles Fultz and James Weiner. Now, fellas, uh, let's, we, we have a lot of questions from listeners, so we kind of have to move along a little bit. Can you tell us when you realized or came to believe that you had actually been abducted in that missing time slot? Um, Well, actually, that probably didn't really strike us uh, for almost 10 years. Wow. When uh, Jack and Jim uh, began simultaneously having nightmares that were very eerily the same. 
um, except that they didn't share their nightmares with one another. At that time, they were living about 150 miles apart, and they began having these weird nightmares where uh, the four of us were in an unusual location and situation um, being examined by, for lack of a better word, gray ETs. Uh, we didn't know anything about stuff like that when uh, this all began. And uh, Jim, who at that time um, happened to be a housemate of mine, I lived in a very large rental property in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, and my other housemates and I were concerned about Jim's odd behavior in the middle of the summer, he began, do you mind if I share this, Jim? No, go right ahead, Charlie. Well, Jim began padlocking his room from the inside and locking his windows, and uh, my housemates and I became quite concerned about this, and Jim was very tight-lipped about it, you know, really didn't share what was going on. And uh, it uh, became enlightened to us because of Jim's um, uh, episodes. His medical care providers at the time also observed uh, Jim's... Uh, uh, agitated uh, behavior and uh, uh, one of his uh, caretakers uh, began questioning him uh, and I'll let Jim take it from here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in 1978, I had a, a freak accident that left me with some spinal and brain damage. I won't get into the details because it will take too long. But anyway, um, I was being treated for uh, seizures. I was having temporal limbic seizures because of the brain damage. And at the time, Charlie just mentioned, I was being treated at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. They have a whole team that works with um, you know, brain trauma people. And um, I was having a lot of seizures at the time. And so um, they noticed that I was, I would be coming in regularly and they noticed I was being, I was agitated and I wasn't sleeping. And so they questioned me as to, you know, what's going on? Why aren't you sleeping? And blah, blah, blah. And I was saying, well, I'm having these nightmares, these horrible nightmares where I think somebody's like coming into my room at night and they're going, walking around in my room and they're coming up to my bed and, um, it's freaking me out and I can't sleep. And so, um, one of the, the team members at the hospital had me sit down. At first, I didn't want to talk about it. I was like, well, you know, they're nightmares. Everybody has nightmares. What are you going to do, you know? All nightmares are bad. So what? But anyway, they said, well, you know, you can't have that attitude. You, you need to talk about this stuff. So I was telling them about my nightmares that I was having, and one of the um, one of the doctors there said, geez, you know, this sounds really weird. I, I think you need to talk to somebody about this and um i was like well talk talk to who and um 
it turned out that um, he, the, this one particular doctor, had was uh, acquainted with Dr. John Mack from Harvard mm. at that time. And um, I guess he knew what John Mack was just starting to do his research with abductees. And he said, well, I, you know, I just had a meeting recently with or dinner or something like that with this doctor. And, um, you know, maybe you should see somebody about this. And, and, and then he asked me this weird question. He said, you know, I want to ask you something. Have you ever had a experience with UFOs? And I was like, what are you crazy? What does that have to do with this? And he's like, well, I, you know, I'm just curious. And so I was like, I, you know, I thought we were talking about <clears throat> nightmares and seizures. You know, I don't see that has to, anything to do with UFOs. But anyway, this conversation went around and around and around. And finally, he t- convinced me that I needed to talk to someone. And he was, this doctor was the one who contacted Ray Fowler and said, I'm sending one of my patients to talk to you. And would you please um, see what you can get from this guy? So that's how I that's how I met Ray Fowler. Yeah, who wrote the book uh, <laughs> uh, on the case? Yeah, he he took over the case and wrote the book. So um, once I met him and and told him about the Allagash experience, you know, he said, "Well, you know, you got a UFO experience." I said, "Yeah, a long time ago, you know, I was you know on the Allagash, blah blah blah." And so he decided he wanted to look further into the case and, and opened up an official case study on it uh, <coughs> through MUFON. And um, he had me contact Charlie and Jack and Chuck Rack and get, see if they wanted to participate in this, which we all did. He then asked us if we wanted to uh, be willing to undergo hypnotic regression so we agreed to that, and in fact, all four of us went through hypnotic regression sessions. Um, we promised not to discuss any of the content uh, of any of our remembering anything that came out, which we did. Uh, we didn't talk about it amongst ourselves, and it, it took a, a little over a year for multiple for multiple sessions, but eventually um, Ray finished the, the hypnotic regression sessions. And one day he called us in and gave us the results. And he said, you know, based on your independent um, transcripts, what came out of your hypnotic regression sessions, it appears as if you have experienced an alien abduction. So that well, was well, well, the first time we actually well, had to sit down and face the possibility that we were abducted uh, by aliens. Okay. Well, I think we'd better well, move wait. to our question, uh, or we're not going to get to any. Um, sorry to cut you short. We can do another show, I think. And we, uh, have to, we need two hours for this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from Lauren uh, from Connecticut, and if you would. So Lauren writes to us, uh, thank you very much for the interesting show. My question is, what did the men do to make peace with their hammering experience so that they could then go on and live a normal life? Okay, uh, Charlie, you you lead off on that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess after we came back from our trip, we had shared over the course of the next twelve months 
with every friend that we had, our experience being chased across the lake by the UFO. And after that year, you know, I had finished my college education and I began working in the medical field as a medical photographer and a medical artist. And, um, you know, I just became obsessed with this type of, uh, uh, field. I, I didn't know why, but, uh, working with medical research scientists, working with, uh, surgeons, uh, in the medical area just became, um, sort of like an obsession with me. Uh, at the same time, um, Jim's brother Jack, uh, who after the Allagash became uh, kind of obsessed with mathematics, and I mean real trigonometry, geometry, calculus, he, he was just obsessed with mathematics and started incorporating mathematics into his artwork. Uh, first as two-dimensional, and then eventually the three-dimensional uh, things. Jim, his uh, artwork uh, prior to our trip on the Allagash had been like utilitarian pots and bowls and tea kettles and, you know, pictures, things of function and beauty. But yet when we came back from the Allagash, his artwork just changed drastically, dramatically, almost cosmically in uh, shape and form and color and, uh, uh, you know, but yet at the same time, none of us were aware of these um, changes in, in the directions of our lives. Uh Jack went on to work in the U.S. space industry um, as one of only two people in the state of Vermont capable of running uh, equipment that coded uh, optics, lenses, and filters that were used uh, by NASA. Uh, Jack uh, worked on the repair package for the Hubble telescope. He also had handled the optics that are on the two uh, land uh, rovers and satellites going around Mars right now. Um, mm. But, I mean, you know, all of us were just nothing but, you know, artists at one point with uh, an art career in mind. I intended to be a teacher, uh, but yet... Uh, only began teaching art after I retired uh, uh, a few years ago. Okay. I don't know if that answers your question. Or yeah, not. it does. Uh, but I think the, probably the main question we need to get to uh, I, is what happened during the abduction according to what was discovered during the hypnotic sessions? Oh, uh, well. That's kind of relevant to our, to our topic. I'll I'll chime in. What they found from the hypnotic regression sessions is that we were taken aboard this craft and we were basically subjected to 
was like uh, physical. I mean, I remembered it. I kind of uh, made an analogy that I, I felt like a, a polar bear that had just been darted um, in the Arctic, and you know they've been given an examination where they look at look at your body and and run the tests on you. I felt like it, w- it was a lab. At one point, I was terribly uh, frightened that they were going to you know perform an autopsy on me or you know like mm. cut open. It was really, really frightening. It was terrifying. I remembered uh, under hypnosis um, them examining uh, my brother Jack with his some kind of wand device and seeing uh, Charlie Fultz and Chuck Rack sitting on a bench. We, we were all naked. Um, I remembered them taking a sperm sample, and I remembered them putting uh, some kind of devices on my uh, ankle so I couldn't kick with my legs. Um, I remembered them appearing. Like I remember telling Ray Fowler and hypnosis, they looked like bugs. They looked like insects. They had faces like an ant, and they had some kind of weird clothing, like skin t- skin tight clothing, like skiers wear. It had a sheen to it. Jack remembered having some kind of buckle, like a belt buckle device, and um, Jack uh, did some really good detailed drawings of what their hands looked like. They had uh, four fingers and a foldable pond so that the fingers could oppose one another. Um, Charlie remembered being under um, a, a, a kind of some, I don't know what the heck you would call it, was some kind of scanning device. So um, all four of us remembered um, being on this craft, being uh, with these these alien beings among us. And uh, being subjected to some kind of physical examinations. Okay, now I, I just want to point out that for those who are not listening, uh, watching the TV feed of the show here, you can go to behindtheparanormal.com and uh, there's a link for the talking points and then the link for the 2020 shows and this is right at the top um, pictures of our guests and, and some artwork uh, courtesy of our guests that, that they did about this experience so you can uh, go online and see what we're talking about here okay uh, did you have anything to add uh, to that Charlie um, well yeah uh, I think that that's uh perhaps what stimulated my interest in going into the medical field as uh, after going through a regression um, it seemed to me as as a, a logical step off for me to uh, uh, pursue this area I was discussing at one time uh, with one of the physicians research physicians I worked with about this panel that uh, came down over my chest during this examination that Jim had just mentioned and how my chest was enveloped in the same type of uh, blue illumination that this uh, beam that approached us while we were in the canoe. And uh, I, at the time, was doing photography of patients using ultraviolet film and I was photographing the vascular um, the blood uh, system 
and uh, people by photographing their body and with ultraviolet uh, film and light sources, you can see beneath the skin and see the blood vessels. Uh, so as I was discussing this light and the quality of it with this physician, um, we were talking about uh, different types of uh, scanning. MRI scanning was just brand spanking new back at this time. Um, uh, new cutting edge technologies and uh, so uh, oh geez I'm getting sidetracked in my brain oh no just uh, uh, I, I perhaps there's a uh, uh, an explanation you fellows hadn't considered that uh, <clears throat> given the untended fire on the beach uh, you may have encountered the um, self-appointed uh, fire prevention officers of the galaxy here about that's <laughs> I'm, I'm attempting to the joke here, but anyway, uh, we have another question, and Smokey. this is, I'm sorry? Smokey the alien. Yeah, yes. that's right. Only aliens can yeah, check, prevent check forest the, fires. the headgear. Uh, this is a question from Peter in Bogota, Colombia, who was a faithful listener and a frequent uh, sender of good questions. Sure, so Peter writes to us. Uh, he has two, so we'll just take them one at a time. Hopefully we have time for both. Um, after the original okay. experience, Charlie, I understand you had an abduction in 1995 and Bud Hopkins did a regression. Can you please share the details uh, that came out of that regression um, if, if the incident is related at all? Uh, Bud Hopkins being considered one of the uh, greatest experts on this uh, in those, those times. Okay. Well, uh, in, again, this was in August of uh, 1995. Uh, I had had the night uh, during the evening of a uh, what I thought was a flashback dream of the Allagash. And the next morning, I was seated on the front step having a cup of coffee and reading a book when Jim came out smoking a cigarette we started talking and I said you know I had a really bizarre dream last night he was there like wow that's weird because I had a similar dream myself and did you happen to notice the ivy on the house next door across from your bedroom I had uh a master bedroom on the second floor directly beneath me Jim and his wife Carol um, occupied the master bedroom suite on the first floor the house next door to us was covered from the ground to the gutters with ivy and this was on a stucco uh, surface which is a concrete mixture and uh, uh, ivy hangs on to that type of structure well ivy will grow literally on glass um, and anchor itself to glass quite securely and this entire building on that side of the house was covered with ivy except for a large circle that uh, was bare right down to the stucco and that was like a giant cookie cutter had removed it well Jim and I were looking at that and uh, we both realized that we had had very similar dreams the night before, yet they were different in detail from what we recalled on the Allagash. 
Um, I remember being conducted to the corner of my room uh, where I had a, balcony, a door to a balcony, and uh, that was the next thing I remember was like being escorted. Um, I had uh, an alien on uh, each arm uh, guiding me down this passageway. Um, and uh, Jim, uh, as I recall, uh, had thought that there was a uh, police vehicle just outside of his bedroom window, and for it to be outside his bedroom window, it would have had to have been at least 10 or more feet, 10, 11, 12 feet off the ground in order to be outside the bedroom window of his apartment. But um, what do you remember from that, Jim? Well, I remembered um, waking up in the middle of the night and seeing this uh, blue light outside the um, our, one of our bedroom windows. You could see it around our shade, and um, I couldn't move in the bed. I it was exactly three thirty-two in the morning, I think, or three thirty-three. And uh, my wife, I tried to wake my wife. She wouldn't wake up, and um, when I tried to get up, it was I felt like I couldn't move. And um, that was all I consciously remembered. Um, the next morning when I woke up, I had this this flash memory of of some something being in our room, and me running towards the corner of the room to get away from it. That was my conscious memories. Anyway, what came out of the hypnotic regression with Bud was that um, I did get up. And there were these beans in our room, and I ran out of the room, down out of the back of the house into the driveway to escape. And when I got out into the back of the driveway and looked up the driveway, there was this craft floating, you know, like eight or ten feet above the surface of the driveway in between the two houses. And uh, there were these beans back there, and they, um, I had, I didn't, they didn't say anything to me, but I, it was like you get a mental. Uh, impression that they wanted me to get in into that craft, which I didn't want to do. And uh, then the next memories um, that I had from under the regression was being in a craft somewhere. I was in a room with a, a portal looking at something. I don't know if it was either a projection or whether I was looking outside, but it appeared that I was out in space somewhere looking, but it wasn't like regular space. It was very light, almost whitish rather than black, with stars. And um, I remember seeing that, and I remember seeing some, uh, the, the way the structure of the room had these curved beams in them that had some kind of, it looked like hieroglyphics. I wasn't sure if it was just a design feature or if it was some kind of writing. I couldn't get a clear picture of it under hypnosis. We didn't, just didn't have enough time to. Okay, fellas, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to have break. We're just about out of time. Can uh, you tell people where they can find out more about you online and where they can get the book, The Allegash Abductions by Raymond D. E. Fowler? Well, the, the book. Well, uh, go ahead, Chuck. You, you can probably uh, easily find us on the web under Allegash. 
four, the word A-L-L-A-G-A-S-H with the numeral four. And the book um, can be probably found through Amazon, uh, also online. Okay, um, very it, good. All right, well, fellas, we're going to have to do another show because we have lots of other questions we didn't get to. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Stay safe, and uh, we'll have you back on very soon to uh, com- continue our discussion. All right, and don't forget to wash your hands after this radio broadcast. Absolutely. Yes. I'm going to take a shower, actually. Not because of you, fellas, because <laughs> we're out in the, in the <laughs> universe here. And uh, don't start any more fires. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. And, and okay. Play with flashlights responsibly. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay, Ben, take it away for the announcements. Alrighty, so uh, unfortunately we did have to cancel um, a majority of uh, events. Uh, most of our spring events have been canceled due to the global pandemic, um, but the uh, cor- but coronavirus allowing, we will be um, at the Exeter UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend. Uh, that's, Saturday, uh, that's September 5th and 6th. Um, and we hope, as speakers, uh, to to do you know, our fifth annual live broadcast from the historic Exeter Town Hall on Sunday the 6th at noon. And the event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club for local children's charities. And uh, it's possible that our guests today, uh, Charlie Fultz and uh, Jim Wiener, may be uh, there again this year, that we uh, got to spend a couple of days with them uh, at the festival last year in New Hampshire, so we hope we'll see them uh, there this year. Uh, there will be other events throughout the year, uh, hopefully, including the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lem- Lemonster, Massachusetts, on Columbus Day weekend. Uh, I have been honored to be the uh, keynote speaker this year to mark my, I guess, 50-year paranormal work anniversary. Also in October, look for us on the Travel Channel, uh, though we cannot give you any details right now. So you can check out our books, uh, including Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard of. Uh, and uh, now, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parallel, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds of God. <laughs> They're available from online retailers and in some stores, um, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com once the site is back online. Right, yeah. yeah, well, the, the site is online. It's just uh, all the uh, pot, the uh, recorded shows are not there. However, they are most of them uh, back to the beginning of 2010 on all the major podcast podcast platforms, uh, YouTube, iTunes, etc. Yes, so you can check those out there. Okie dokie. Right, so um, what do we have next week? Next week, uh, that would be uh, Sunday, March 22nd, we'll have dream expert and coast-to-coast AM web producer uh, Lex Nover to talk about the true nature of dreams. And we leave you this afternoon with a quote we didn't get to last week from uh, one of my favorite guys, the 13th century Persian poet and theologian Rumi. We carry inside us the wonders we seek outside us. I'm Paul Eno, and stay safe out there. I'm Ben Eno, and we have approximately... 15 seconds left. Okay, so stay safe out there, yes, folks. Yes, make sure you you wash your hands. Uh, apparently sunlight is good as well. Yeah, well, take it seriously. Yes, Very yes, important. yes, please. Okay, please so. be responsible. Yes. Uh, I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.